The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the resumption of the rally, even as rates continue to rise as well. Does that mean... The worst really is over. We take that to the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Liz Young, Steve Weiss, Josh Brown, and Pete Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's check the markets. The S&P getting back above 4,500 today. Man, it's been a run over the past five, six days. It's a gain of 1% for the S&P. Dow's good for 235. Interest rates are up and stocks are up. And we haven't seen that very often, at least lately. I was going to start there, and then, Pete, I noticed a note that you sent in that said you haven't been this active in the options market in quite some time. And I looked down at the list of the calls that you've bought, not only today, but in the last few days, and it's astounding. Alibaba. Yeah. See what's happening there. Microsoft, AMD, mm-hmm. Facebook, Apple, AMD, Walmart, the K-Web calls, and that's the Chinese Internet name. So what's going on here? What's the statement here you're making? Well, I think there's a couple of things going on, Scott, one of which is the volumes are off the charts. When you go to Friday, we had 50 million contracts trading. That's a big number. We had 41 million contracts trading yesterday. The activity levels are very, very high. Doesn't mean that they're going to be absolutely right on the timing of this whole thing, but certainly we are seeing across the board buying, Scott. One day it might be focused more on energy and uranium and that oil and that type of thing. The next day it might be more financials. And as you just read off, we're seeing more and more on the... On the- Pete froze. We'll get Pete back. <laughs> but he is doing a lot of buying, and so is... Mr. Negative, Steve Weiss. Steve Weiss, you've been more negative than a lot of people lately, right, on where you think the market really is. And if if the worst was really over, if this was a reliable rally or nothing but a bear market bounce. And I look down, I see you bought more Dick Sporting Goods. I wonder if that's a little Nike play. You bought more Moderna. That's ahead of, an, ahead of an event they're holding. More telling, though, perhaps you bought the semis, the SMH, and you bought Tesla calls. Talk to me and hope you don't freeze. Yeah. No, I, I don't freeze um, in the face of pressure, unlike my, my friend <laughs> Pete. Uh, look, the, the reality is I've been negative and I've been dead right because I've been negative not over the last week. But I've been negative since January. That's fine. So that's fine. Let's go with the still puck is, right? I'm going to borrow a saying from you. Okay. Right? Exactly. You, let's, let's, where's the puck uh, exactly. going now? So, so everything, right. So everything I do is based on idiosyncratic stories. And if you take a look at what I've done recently, yes, Dick's, were, and it's not working out as a trade. I have a rather large core position, and it's dirt cheap, less than 10 times earnings. But I thought it would move up on the Nike print. So that was a trade. And I'll probably get stopped out if it continues to decline uh, on that. But keep my core position, of course. Moderna, 
Look, Josh had a great call there when he came in and bought, I think, around the 150 level just a week ago. Uh, I added to my core position in advance of vaccine day, which I think is going to be another eye opening uh, in terms of their product pipeline and what can be, what will be coming to the market. Perhaps the end of this year, you know, you look for the birth defect vaccine, which there is no competing vaccine in the market, RSV, et cetera, flu, et cetera. So that's all positives. That's why I bought more Moderna there. And the world's coming to realize that you're going to need boosters for a long time. And guess what? It's virtually every day they pick up another order, whether it's from Sweden, the Japanese government, Australia, et cetera. Uh, in terms of the SMH, I sold the, I sold the NXPI uh, last week because it just had a monster move off the lows. And I originally got into it about 185 and was unfortunately able to buy it a lot lower. And I just said, I've got enough on. I've continued to add to on semi, which is in the same market by and large. But they're sold out all year, they've said repeatedly. So I think that's a cheaper stock and it works better. Um, so the semis just really get market exposure. Uh, so that that's the explanation. But I mean, I feel like, oh, look, uh, you know, I, I know you like to have this persona, but right. <laughs> I, I feel like you're growing more positive that a lot of damage was done. Yeah, we're starting to put some stuff together. You know, the SMH maybe represents trying to get a little more exposure. Am I am I wrong? Am I making too much of this? Uh, well, you're wrong about a couple of things. Terms persona, I don't like to have any persona because I really don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm doing what's right in this market to manage risk and make money. So if that fits to a persona, well, then so be it. If we all need a box to fit into. In terms of my view in the market, I always believe we're in a trading range. I still think that the black swan event is out there in terms of China. Uh -huh. And uh, I don't think it's all in at this point. There, as you heard Meister last night in, in what was an excellent interview in overtime, I mean, there's a wall of worry yeah. here. And I've maintained that, that, you know, the positives are as well known as the negatives. So what's going to impact the market going forward? And in my view, the negatives are going to keep a lid on the market. Inflation's out of control. And we've seen some some modifications in earnings, in other words, taking earnings down. Mm -hmm. And I think that'll continue. And as you get closer to the reporting period, you're going to see that more of a wholesale nature. In other words, guidance being played down by okay. companies, by CEOs, et cetera. Let me do this. Let me get back to Pete, because Pete got interrupted by the, the, the big freeze. Uh, so, Pete, again, you know, I, I made the list yeah. at the beginning of this program of all of these big name call options that you've been getting into and continue the mm -hmm. conversation for me. Sure. Well, uh, and you mentioned some of the names, Scott, and I'll, I'll re re rehash that. It's so Facebook is one of them today. It's amazing. All of a sudden, it seems like people have forgotten about Facebook for a while. I know it got under 200. I think Josh had a really nice trade there. He took it off very rapidly. And I'll tell you, Scott, now they're coming back again for Facebook. And they're coming for the 220 calls and, and looking at huge size. And we are seeing huge size trades across the board. AMD, a buyer of 50,000 of this week's expiring 120 calls. You look at what's going on with Facebook. Those calls are about 36,000 of them. And as a matter of fact, they bought other strikes as well. So so we're just seeing across the board, Microsoft, we were seeing upside. They're going actually out to April on the, on the 320s in Microsoft. Stock was trading at the time just beneath 300. So it gives you a little bit of an example of what we're seeing, the kind of volumes that we're seeing, these size trades that are coming in. These are not mom and pop. These aren't 
Pete or anybody else making these trades. These are big fund managers that are coming in. Uh, you know, you, you take your pick on who you think it might be, but some monstrous trades that are coming into these trades. And, and it's just incredible. And it's something that I was just telling Patty, the producer, I think I've got a little over 50 different option trades on right now. So mm. it just shows you how active it's been and how active I've been. A lot of trades, some of them are traded very quickly. I traded a little too quickly out of Baba, but I'm back into Baba once again. We had those 100 calls getting bought about a week or so ago, actually a little less than that, and those absolutely exploded within days. I got out of it. I'm right back into Baba right now. So we're seeing incredible option paper and a lot of different things, whether it's Chinese or oil or whatever. And, you know, you've got to be a participant. This is where the money is made, and it's being made now. Wow. 50 trades. I hope you can keep track of all of that. So, Liz Young. <laughs> that's just the calls. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Uh, Liz Young, I look <laughs> at my back set right now, and I click over on treasuries, and I see two and tens. I mean, they're up like 10% over the last couple of days, and yet stocks are up. And maybe that's the most telling sign that we know what's coming from the Fed, and we're going to get used to that fact pretty quickly because we have no choice. Yeah, I mean, the anticipation turned out to be worse than the actual event. And now the messaging that we heard yesterday, honestly, I think it sets us up to be prepared for the worst, but hope for the best and hope for some sort of dovish tilt if we get a surprise that inflation, in fact, starts to relax or that they can't hike rates as quickly as we think today. And also, we've talked about this on the show many times. If tech rallies, the overall market does better. So as tech sort of recovers here and sees some nice rallies, you're going to see the overall market go up as well. And there are a couple different outcomes that could happen. Well, there are a lot of different outcomes that could happen. I don't think any of us pretend to know exactly what's going to happen. But a couple things that could happen, if we end up orchestrating the soft landing, which I think is probably a low probability, then tech probably does well there if inflation cools off. If we have a hard landing and people get nervous because there's an inversion or an impending recession, tech still does well. So I think some of this rally in tech is something that could hold up for a little while. Josh, rates up, tech up. I mean, it's been a nice run. You've had some hawkish comments in the last 24 hours from the Fed chair himself, from others. You've got the market now pricing in, according to Leesman, seven more hikes this year from six. Uh, and 50 basis points at at least one meeting. And yet here we are. What do you make of it? I think we get a curve inversion by the summer uh, or, or early fall. I think then you're on recession countdown. Earnings should hold up throughout the balance of this year. Uh, companies have done a remarkable job passing through all of their higher costs on everything from commodities to labor to the end customer. But that obviously can't continue as we remove liquidity uh, from the system and all of these stimulus plans start to uh, lap their one year and even two year uh, anniversaries. So uh, you've got a consumer that's in good shape. A year ago, I would have said incredible shape. Uh, balance sheets are still decent, um, but uh, they can't withstand what it costs to fill up a gas tank. They just can't. And then when we get into air conditioning season, it'll be worse. And now Europe seems to be moving toward some sort of full continental boycott of Russian oil. Um, and that's going to make everything worse as well. Speaking of Russia, they are now uh, forcibly removing women and children from the city of Mariupol, which looks like a Mad Max movie. They're packing them on trains. We used to tease Way Dalio for calling this uh, a, a late 1930s analog. I don't think you could do that anymore. That's literally what the pictures look like if you watch the news. 
uh, seven nights a week. Um, so you're and bearish. In that kind of environment, so it bearish. doesn't take much. In that kind of, well, look, the U.S. Uh, the U.S. economy, the U.S. stock market is the best of the bunch. Okay, um, but in that kind of uh, environment, just remember the market can turn on a dime. It's great that the Nasdaq has rallied off the low. It's great that Facebook and blah blah blah. It's great. I'm not against it. We we own these stocks. Okay, but. Uh, this idea that we're going to flick a switch and be risk on, risk off, risk on, it's really, really hard to do. So I just think if you're going to be in this market, um, tighten up your stops if you're in a trade. Moderna is a great example. Weiss brought it up, so I'll, 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 I'll reference that. I bought that stock by accident. It's my best trade of the year. Tells you how good I am. Uh, 125, actually. So now I'm rolling up the stop into the high 150s. I'm going to trail it from there. I'll probably end up using uh, the rise in 50-day at a certain point and just try to hold on to Moderna because I still think it's gotten too beaten up. You can do stuff like that, but I don't want full risk to have that entire gain, 45-some-odd percent off the low, uh, turn into 15% off the low, and I give up all this opportunity. So I think you can be productive. I know what Pete's doing with options. That's very short-term stuff, too. I think you can do that. I just want people to keep in mind the context is pitch black. Yield curve inversions and worsening geopolitical crises uh, historically uh, don't resolve themselves like a sitcom in 22 minutes plus commercials. So so then, Steve, that keeps a lid on (laughs) things. I mean, nothing that Josh said was wrong in terms of what the geopolitical for certain risks are. Inflation here. Gas prices and, you know, the, the, the obvious hit to consumer that it's eventually going to catch up with people even more so than it already has. Is that too much to overcome to get too bullish? I, I think it is. We're, we're in a trading range and the trading range, guess what? The, the upper end of the trading range has continued to move lower since the year began, since since last July. And I think that's where we continue to be. These are real issues. And I'm as surprised as anybody that you've had this major move in the, in the indexes, while yet you've had rates just power up every single day. And rates, I mean the 10-year. That'll eventually come to an end. We saw how that could end yesterday when Powell raised the specter of 50 basis yeah. point hike. Well, one now, of day course, the bulls are say, well, the market absorbed it. Right. The market absorbed it. Look how it is. But when it actually starts happening from the Fed and when it actually starts slowing growth, which is the only reason to raise rates, then your market multiple is still overdone. But Look, we're not getting back up to a 25 multiple or even hanging out at a 21 understood. multiple with, rate, with, an, with the rates. I understood. But the key thing you said is when the Fed starts slowing growth, we expect growth to slow. The Fed is going to slow they growth. Already are. The bet. They the bet are. is that it comes down to the binary thing. Either they crash it or they don't, right? Either they crash the economy the or they don't. Weighted, it, it the, either is a soft landing the, or the it G- ain't. You're a long way weighted, from crashing the uh, economy. Interest rate around the world will be about 3 to 4% by the, time, by the time everyone does what they're expected to do. You look at every, you look at every central bank around the world. Um, the, the, so if you, if you weight that all by uh, GDP... You're looking at like a global interest rate, overnight rate, that's like north of 3%. Obviously, lower in Europe, 
obviously higher in Latin America, but just in general, that is going to slow growth. In fact, we've never had a commodity uh, spike like this one that didn't result in a recession. Never. So maybe this will be the first one. And, and Scott, uh, I one hope more it point. is. I don't think the, the, it will be. But Scott, one more point. So the real growth, if you take what, what Josh is saying, and 3 to 4% growth in the economy, that's all driven by inflation. That's matching inflation. So you're really not growing much at all, if anything. You'll be in negative growth unless you really get inflation down. And that is, look, high inflation has toppled governments. Now, it's not going to happen in a democracy here. Maybe it will. Maybe that's why the Republicans will come in. Who knows? But the point is, is that you have to slow it masterfully. You're right. So that there's no recession. So and but you have the supply chain working against you, which has had minimum. What's a reasonable what's a reasonable valuation in your mind, Steve, for where stocks should be trading? And I ask you that because you do have some revisions to forecast from people who are a little bit tilted negative by but by no means are these forecasts right. falling out of bed uh parker over at ubs goes from 242 to 235 um 19 times that is 4465 something mm -hmm. like that um that's right where we are now too high too 19 high. times is too high the, mul the multiple is too high the the why is the that too high 19 times is too high it's lower than we were because historically it's Sure, but 27 was too high also. Well, hey, the multiple got to 2,000 on, in the NASDAQ bubble on NASDAQ. We came down to 1,900. It was down 5%, but still too high. And it took 10 years to recover. Look, the multiple on the market historically should be, in my view, a fair multiple is 15 times. In a hyperinflation, and this is hyperinflation for this country. It's not 20% in developing markets, but for our economy, where we've not been able to get above 2% for a long, long time, 7 8% is hyperinflation. Well, then you better wipe 1,000 so, points off order, the S&P. You better wipe 1,000 points well, I'm not saying, I'm off not the S&P. Uh, no, because you know, earnings are growing. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, it's, it's not that dire. Yeah, I don't think it's not that dire. Earnings are still growing. Right. Yeah, I know they're still growing. Earnings I just gave are growing, you, and the I just gave you the earnings and buybacks will the break a record. And buybacks will break a record and, and, this year, too. Still, so it's not that dire. And, and, and there's still no alternative to equities. So people take money out of equities. They'll sell foolishly on the emotional downticks. And maybe that gets you down at some point. Another, you know, few hundred points on, on the S&P, which I don't think is unreasonable, by the way. That just be a 10 percent correction. I think we can go lower than that. I'm not saying we will, Liz Young. but that's the downside. And we should rest out yes, around sir. 16 to 17 times. Get on in here. So uh, let's start with the 15 times statement. I, I know that that's a long-term average, and I understand why Steve is saying that I don't necessarily disagree over the long term. I think in an environment where I don't think the Fed can raise rates above a certain level without breaking the economy before they have to cut again, you have to adjust that multiple. So it has to be a little bit higher, which is why I agree with Josh. It can't be that dire. It just can't be. If you look at why we've seen a rally recently, I think markets have started to worry more about inflation, and rightfully so, than anything else. Because if we didn't touch it, if the Fed wasn't hawkish, if we didn't worry about this, inflation would break us regardless. And it would break the consumer to a point that was 
hard to recover from if we went into a recession because of that. So I'd almost rather that the Fed is more hawkish, more aggressive, inverts the yield curve, just get it over with, right? Shake the tree, get it over with, and then let's move forward. Maybe it's a short, a, a brief kind of painful recession. Maybe it's one that we don't even know about until after it's over, but then we come out of it at a much more comfortable level of prices. So you, you think that the, the rally that we've seen from, you know, a week ago, it's been a pretty much a, a week-lasting rally, right? Last Monday was a terrible day, and then we've had um, a, a nice move up. You, you think it doesn't sound like you think it's all that reliable. I, I don't think it's reliable at this clip. No, I don't think we're going to go straight up from here till the, the end of the year. I think it's possible we end the year in low single digits and return, which would have to take us pretty far from here. But still, I don't think it's reliable in the sense of, okay, it's all over. There's nothing to worry about. Everything's going to be fine. But I do think that getting up to the point where we had that first hike was really the worst part. And because we haven't had a recession, down 21% on the NASDAQ is a pretty good flush. So it makes sense that markets are going to pause from going further into bear territory here. But again, there's a lot of stuff that still has to happen. And we've got a lot of time between now and that next May Fed meeting. I think we're going to bounce around. All right. Well, let's bring in our halftime headliner. Mike Wilson is back. He's the chief investment officer and the chief U.S. equity strategist at Morgan Stanley. Welcome back. Thanks, Scott. You still negative? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, it just has to be as simple as that, right? We've had this big rally. You know, yeah. you, you've been on here saying that, that we're going to have a big pullback. Well, we had it. And now we're trying to put something together to the upside. Are you still negative? Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, look, your panel described it uh, for the most part. I mean, look, the, the risk setup is worse today than it was three months ago, um, just with the war itself, right? Just that alone, okay? It doesn't even take into account the Fed moving faster now and the risk that that has on the economy. Um, I mean, these are real changes that are for the negative. And so you can't be more positive than you were in, in, in December, and we were negative then, and the price isn't that difference at the S&P level. Now, the good news, Scott, is we've talked about a million times on this show, okay? We've, we're in a bear market. We've been in a bear market for a while. It started a long time ago. We've done a lot of good work at the stock level. And actually, you know, last year, the average stock underperformed significantly the S&P. This year, it's probably going to be the opposite, okay? So what you guys are talking about, picking off names that have already been hammered, that's the strategy now. Get away from the S&P 500. It's a trap, okay? Like, thinking about the S&P is... You know, that's not what investors do. Investors look at individual names, and that's what you need to be doing. Now, at the stock, at the S&P level, we're absolutely more bearish today than we were a month ago because the price is adjusted. And we thought there'd be a rally to 4500 We wrote about that. Here we are. It's a bear market rally. And look, the numbers you guys are throwing around, I would throw 16 times. That's the right number right now, given where rates are. Okay? The equity risk premium today is 280 That's the lowest equity risk premium that we've had since the GFC. Okay, that's the lowest number. Does that make sense to anybody? 280 equity risk premium? You're not getting paid to take equity-like risk at 280 basis points. No different than credit spreads, which have blown out here recently. So what's the right equity risk premium? In this environment, we have a war going on. You have a Fed that's moving us to inversion quickly, and, and growth is you know not negative, but it's slowing. Okay, that setup says 400 basis points. That's 16 times. I don't think it's that complicated. The hard part is knowing when we're going to get to 16 times. Is it going to be next month? Is it going to be two months from now, three months from now? I don't know. But I'll tell you this. I'm not that interested in buying the index until, until we trade to 16 times. Let's, let's, so let's be clear. Your base case on the S&P is 4,400. So for all <laughs> intents and purposes, we're there, right? I mean, so 
That's your base case. Your bull case is 5,000. Um, so a better chance at not than not of being right around where we are uh, in the ballpark or perhaps better, 3,900 is your bear case. Now, I'll agree with you when you said the risk picture, and I, I wrote this down because I want to make sure I got it right. The risk picture is worse than it, than it uh, was three months ago. Can you not make the argument, though, that the risk picture is better than it was three weeks ago, right? Because more is known, right? We know now what path the Fed appears to be on. We've been able to absorb this higher move in interest rates. And I'll tell you what, I know you could cite some earnings revisions being negative, but earnings thus far ain't so bad. And maybe Nike tells you that yesterday, that maybe things are going to be all right when it comes down to earnings and the market can handle a move higher in rates. So maybe the picture's better than it was three weeks ago, but not three months ago. I don't think the picture's better than it was three weeks ago. We're closer to the sun now, right? We're closer to where the revisions are going to get more negative. And, and you're exactly right, though, Scott. The thing that's held this market up is earnings. Josh said the same thing. That's exactly correct. But the price is wrong because growth is not going to be as fast as it was, obviously, the last two years nor is it going to be as fast over the next probably five years because you pull forward a bunch of demand. That's not the end of the world. We're not even calling for a recession. You don't need a recession for valuations to normalize. 16 times is a normal multiple given what rate where rates are and given the setup that we have in front of us from a risk standpoint. So I do not think the risk is better than yours, mainly because price is higher. How could it be better if price is higher and risk premium is down 40 basis Yeah, but I want to I I argue with you on one thing here. You said you pulled forward all this, all this demand. I mean, de- you, you might have pulled, pulled some demand forward, but demand is going to be off the charts this summer, albeit, unfortunately, for, at higher prices. But you, you, you can't find an airplane seat that's not, you know, that, that's not full. You, you can't, you're not going to, you're not going to get hotel rooms. I mean... Demand is going to be robust for a while. Why wouldn't it be? Right, which is why we're not going to have a recession. There's going to be a share or a wallet share shift from goods to services. Not nearly as accretive for the stock market, okay? The consumer discretionary sector is 85% goods, 15% services. The economy is only 30%, uh, sir, I'm sorry, goods, but 70% services. So it's good for the economy. Not great for necessarily S&P 500 earnings. It's that simple. It's just a math. And, and, and look, the reality is, is I'm not that sure that we're going to have the, what is this, the sixth reopening that we've had at this point? You know, yeah, demand's going to be good, but those seats are already full. And the hotels are full. So where's the incremental capacity going to come from? We're already bumping up against that. I, I'm not so sure that demand isn't already robust. I mean, it's already robust for a lot of things. Well, my headline here from you now is no recession. So as bad as you think it is, you think the Fed's going to be able to engineer a soft landing? Well, define soft. I mean, if, if soft is... A, well, no recession. Know, I mean, they're not going to crash the plane. Well, it doesn't mean... I mean, look, let's, let's talk about what we're trying to figure out in terms of the markets, okay? A soft landing is that, yeah, the economy doesn't go into recession, but you can have a stock market that comes down severely, and there could be stress in the economy from that tightening. But yeah, why, couldn't, why can't they engineer... Uh, you know, a, a softer landing than what than what people are saying. They can ha- that could happen, okay? But growth is going to slow either way. And something we've written about extensively: the risk of recession next year has gone up significantly. Okay, the risk of recession next year has gone up. And as Josh said, once that curve inverts, okay, the clock starts ticking, and usually within 12 months. So no recession this year. That's our call. Next year we'll see. 
the market is going to start to figure that out. That's another reason why multiples are going to come down, right? This is the fire and ice. Fire, we already know. That's Captain Obvious now. Everybody knows it. Okay, the ice part is the, is the, is the part of the trade now where the multiples get ahead of the earnings revisions to the downside. Well, we, I mean, we're going to see, right? There's no guarantee. That's right. We're, we're going to see. There's... I'll be paying attention. Well, I know you will. But we're going to be paying attention um, as well. I'll do this. Let's take a break. Can you stay over the break? I want the gang sure. to get in on this. All right. We'll be back with Mike Wilson. We'll get the gang involved here. Financials, by the way, among the top gainers today. There's a bullish note out on that sector. We're going to debate whether you should be adding some of those stocks to your portfolio. It's in our call of the day. We're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Some top questioning from Republicans on day two of the Senate confirmation hearing for Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown-Jackson. In response to suggestions that she's too liberal, she pledged to rule from a position of neutrality. Judge Jackson has also been criticized for representing some Guantanamo detainees as a public defender. Her response was, we cannot let the terrorists win by changing the country's fundamental values. And what that meant was that the people who were being accused by our government of having engaged in actions related to this under our constitutional scheme were entitled to representation. One person in North Texas is dead after suspected tornadoes hit several areas in the state and also neighboring Oklahoma. This video shows the aftermath in Round Rock that's near Austin. And as CEO Elon Musk was in Germany celebrating a new Tesla factory, the SEC told a court in New York that he should be bound by his 2018 agreement to get a company lawyers okay for some of his tweets. And tonight on the news, an exclusive look at NATO training in Norway. Scott, you're now up to date. I'll send it back to you. I appreciate that very much, Rahel Solomon. Thanks so much. All right, we're back with Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson. Josh Brown has a question for you, Mr. Wilson. Hey, Mike. So the record of soft landings engineered by the Fed is actually not great. So 1965, 1984, 1994. I think in all cases we had a a great demography 
and we had a roaring economy, and the soft landing was really just about uh, trying to prevent inflation. This is a very different situation. Inflation is here. It's worse than uh, anyone on, on the board expected. Uh, it seems to be uh, caused by things other than the economy, which is a little bit tougher for the Fed to address. Why do we think this, soft land, uh, this attempt at a soft landing will be successful where so many others failed and, and recession became the, the result? Yeah, look, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to a recession potentially happening. Quite frankly, I would strongly suggest that we need a recession. Okay, we need to curtail demand. I've always said that we don't have a supply problem. We have a demand problem. The reason we have inflation is we overstimulated the economy. And we created excess demand that led to, you know, this surge in prices. Well, we have both. Well, okay, but we're producing way more stuff than we were pre-pandemic. Okay, we, it was a demand problem. We can, we can debate that another time. The point is, is that if we got a recession, it would alleviate a lot of, of, the, of the inflationary problems. I don't think the Fed's going for a recession. Okay, let's put it that way. Will they be successful? I don't know. It doesn't matter to me, though, Josh, because at the end of the day, earnings are still going to slow and the price is wrong. So I don't even need to make a bet on a recession at this point to say that there's downside to the S&P 500 from 40 or 4,500. That, and that's sort of the point. I'm not trying to solve every puzzle out there. I'm trying to solve a puzzle that I can, that I can fix. And I know what that is, is that, is that the price is wrong. So let's just get that right first. And then we can debate whether or not there's going to be a recession. Pete, you got a question for Mike Wilson? Yeah, Mike, thanks again for coming on. I know it's always difficult, but I will ask you this. So you talked about individual names. You mean it's I know always you difficult. Why is it always about- difficult? What are you talking about? <laughs> so it's well, you know, he, he, he gets a hard time for he gets a hard time. He gets a hard time for people. But, Mike, uh, very seriously, the individual names like you mentioned that earlier when you first started. I'm curious. I know you can't go over the individual names, but what sectors? Is there a specific area of the market? Maybe one, two, three sectors that you'd say, you know what? Our, our economy's this. Our, we're going to see a lot of pressure to the downside. But, you know, this is an area that I think you can actually is investable. Is there a specific sector you'd point out? There, there are several, Pete, and, and thanks, for your, thanks for your comments. I mean, look, I think, I mean, look, healthcare looks extremely attractive in both the valuation perspective, and that's an area where there's pent up demand. It's also defensive, which is in line with our general defensive posture. Okay. And look, I mean, unfortunately, this war is terrible, and we all want it to be over, but there are some structural changes that are going to result from it, even if it ended tomorrow. There's going to be more spending on probably energy services, there's going to be more spending on, uh, you know, uh, defense and national security. Uh, and that would be software security as well. So those are new trends that are just emerging here right now. And really just the inflationary trends that we're going to see in materials, right? We're taking off a lot of supply permanently, regardless of the outcome of this of this conflict. Mike, we're going to leave it there. I hope this wasn't too excruciating for you. Know how difficult, my pleasure. Know, know how difficult it can be sometimes to answer some real questions, but I hope it worked out for you. Anytime, Scott. Anytime. Good to see you. All right. That's Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley. We'll see you soon, I hope. I mean, I hope it'll come back now. That's tough. Bank of America is out with a bullish note on the financials, telling investors to stay overweight that sector despite the inversion of the yield curve. Financials are one of the top performing sectors today. Made it our call of the day. Liz Young. What do you think about the financials here? OK, I, I like the the note is interesting. 
Part of it is, is fairly counterintuitive. In the 1990s, the S&P 500 bank's earnings were 80% correlated with the yield curve. Correlations dropped to 17% since 2000. And today, our bank's team cites the short end as more important than the 90s. Historically, financials have outperformed 50% of the time during curve inversions like the one, the one you're calling for. Yeah, so 50% is not a good probability. That's like flipping a coin, right? So I don't know that I'd hang my hat on that. But usually financials are correlated with the long end of the curve. Recently, they've decoupled from that. That's because the entire curve moved up and there wasn't a steepening in the yield curve. So we've stayed quite flat. If the curve inverts, usually following an inversion is a pretty quick steepening. So financials would benefit from that. Also, let's move through the year. Think about the idea, first of all, that financials are not overbought here. So this isn't a place where I feel like the market is frothy. And if consumers start to run out of that excess savings, they're going to start to borrow because they still have demand, as we've all been talking about. They still have demand. They're going to start to borrow. They're going to have to borrow from the banks. And they're going to have to borrow in an environment where rates are higher. So I still like financial here. I think they're cash rich. I think that their balance sheets are much healthier than they were in previous recessions. And I think that they're an okay place to stay. Pete, you bought more B of A calls. I did. And, and I agree with everything that, that Ms. Young was just talking about. I think it's phenomenal that the, there's some opportunities that are still there, Scott. I think, it, you know, I love J.P. Morgan. I know that the desk oftentimes loves J.P. Morgan, but they were way too overpriced at one point in time. They were trading two times book or more. So I think it's finally getting into the area now where it's a little bit closer to Bank of America. But Bank of America and Wells Fargo, I think you get a little bit more bang for your buck with those names. And you have been getting that. All you got to do is look at the charts. Year to date, I think Bank of America is up 12% over what's going on with J.P. Morgan. So I think there's just it's a, it's an issue where you got to be selecting the right banks, and I think there are many of these banks or financials, if you will, that are still in a great position to go higher. I think Liz is right, and I I own Bank of America. I've got some Wells Fargo. I've got more bank uh, exposure than probably I should, so I probably will start to trim at some point. Mm-hmm. But right now, I think that there's a bit of a slingshot effect right now with Bank of America to the upside. That's what the calls are telling quickly josh you know jp morgan really hasn't been the same since it reported earnings yeah i mean look this is this is a a stock that tends to move in in spurts and it's really tough to time when the next one will be i've seen it go up 30 points in the span of weeks i've seen it go nine months without going anywhere so i think with jp morgan i've always said that i'm an investor Uh, i own the stock significantly lower the dividends automatically repurchase more shares of stock when they get paid. And from one quarter to the next, I'm really not going to change my mind on what I think the opportunity is. We're, we're basically in a situation where I think with every passing year, we add trillions to the size of uh, the U.S. economy. I think no matter what happens, uh, what areas of the economy grow, J.P. Morgan Chase will have an important role in that growth. I think they've done a really good job fending off competition from fintech firms. I think a lot of those fintech firms that we thought would supplant the traditional uh, financial system probably run out of money in this cycle. So JPM is like, an, like a loading the animals onto the ark. When you put capital there, I think you could feel pretty good about it. You might be bored, but I don't think you um, become permanently impaired, mm-hmm. really, no matter what happens. Not bored this week, up nearly 8% for JP Morgan. Josh does find some opportunity in some new places, though. When we come back... We're going to talk about two of Josh's new buys next. 
you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right. Josh Brown has two new buys, even though the music's playing. We're going, right? I'm still playing the music. I just want to make sure. Not telling me wait for the music. Sometimes we like music in the background. Josh Brown, two ETFs, the IEO, Oil and Gas Exploration and Production, and the U.S. Aerospace and Defense ETF, the ITA. Take the IEO first. So, so what both of these have in common? I will. What both these have in common, though, is that they are tiny relative to the S&P 500. And my bet is over the next three years, they're going to grow significantly relative to the overall stock market. So the market could be up, could be down. But I think these two sectors are becoming way more important for our national security, for our supply chains. And they've been ignored, underinvested in, however you want to put it. So IEO is exploration and production. Uh, It's oil and gas companies. It's not gigantic integrated oil companies. It's really the companies that have the reserves and are producing it. And many of them will be acquisition targets. Uh, Many of them will find mega fans like what we've seen uh, in recent days with Occidental Petroleum being accumulated, uh, hoovered up, some might say, by Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, I think our supply of natural gas and oil are going to be seen almost as uh, defense when you think about what's going on, what I talked about in the A block uh, with Europe, the, the revanchism and, and, uh, and revisionism of uh, Putin and Xi. These are two men who would like us to be out of the Pacific, out of Europe, come back home, have no influence in the world. They want to refight World War II. They want to pretend 1989 never happened. This is going to be a very tough few years, especially with um, Biden uh, at the helm, who doesn't seem particularly disposed to wanting to face this this threat head on. And so I think IEO becomes a very strategic investment. The other one uh, is even more on the nose. ITA is defense and aerospace. Um, this has not even made a new high relative to pre-pandemic. Now, a lot of that has to do with uh, idiosyncratic issues related to Boeing. Uh, Boeing's a big weight in, in the CTF. But when you think about the other companies in here, There's one thing we know for a fact. Even if we have a ceasefire or a truce in Eastern Europe tomorrow, we know for a fact that every one of the 30 free nations, most of which are in the West, every one of them is taking a serious look at their budget for defense spending. And in most cases, those budgets are going way higher. 
Germany wants to put it in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. So they weren't really listening when Trump was saying you need to spend more as part of your NATO requirement. Now they're going to spend even more than Trump would have wanted them to. And that's just, uh, that's just the pendulum swinging uh, all the way back the other way. It, even if you think of the U.S., our military budget on the surface nominally is absurd. However, it is substantially lower as a percentage of D- GDP than where it was under Reagan. And I think that's going to reverse. We're going to okay. be spending a lot more money. We almost have no choice. So I think ITA, IEO are defensive. I think they are secular bets over the next few years that will outperform the market. And I think they will balloon in market cap size as the big winners within those two sectors grow. Let me take a quick break. Come back. Pete reveals his unusual activity trades next. Let's do unusual, Pete. What do you see today? Let's do it. Now, Scott, I usually don't like to focus on the uh, ETFs. I'd rather get a little bit better beta out of the individual names. But that being said, we have jets and and it's the ETF, obviously, of the airlines. It's really interesting to see. We see this paper occasionally in there. We'd rather see it in the individual names. But we got twenty one thousand of the September twenty five calls being bought. Those are getting bought for about eighty five cents. That's what the ETF trading at twenty, a little over twenty, about twenty thirty. So it's going to take a heck of a move. But it's also unusual because of the fact they went out to September. I got another one that's going out to September. This is an individual name. We never see this name. Paramount Global. So you're talking about media, entertainment, all of that. September 45 calls. That's where the stock was trading around 37 at the time. The September 45 calls, 10,000 of those were bought for a little over $2, Scott. So I'm in both these names. I like what we're seeing. I'd rather not be in the ETF. Oftentimes I'll go to a Delta or United or something else, but this time I've got jets on. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if we get that kind to move, but we have been seeing the airlines seeing more and more option activity, and the bullish paper has been very, very correct so far. All right, good stuff. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We got Thanks. final trades ahead. Try and get a comment too about Nvidia meets its investors in about six or seven minutes from now. We'll give you that trade as well when we come back. Hope you'll join me in overtime, four o'clock Eastern time. Billionaire investor Carl Icahn joins me today. Looking very much forward to that conversation. I hope you will join me for that. NVIDIA meets its investors in about a minute. Josh Brown, quick take as you own the stock. I mean, I I feel like Jensen Huang is slowly becoming the new Steve Jobs. People uh, flock to this event. They love to hear about some of the new technologies coming out. I'm one of them, so I will be paying attention via live stream. L.Y., Liz Young, your final trade is what? Cloud computing. It was pretty expensive for most of last year. This is a good entry point and a long-term theme. Okay. Thank you for that. Pete Nigerian. Love Apple, of course, but they're buying the April 1st 170 calls today. 21,000 of those, Scott. I'm in those as well. What a, what a rebound for that stock, right? Pushing 169. Yep. Uh, Amazing. Josh Brown, final trade. Yes, sir. Uh, Defense and Aerospace ETF, protect your neck. All right. And uh, Weiss, what you got? The fundamentals on Porsche are far outpacing the stock price. I think it continues to move higher. Nice recovery from now. It's going a lot higher. All right. Pretty nice move uh, for the market today, too. As we said at the outset, the S&P is uh, back above 4,500. You see it right there. The exchange is now. I'll see you in overtime. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. 
can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 